Mad Hopper. This is a name that most people will never know, but in the shadows of the Army's Special Operations Aviation Regiment and a very tight inner circle, this name is a currency in competence and authenticity. Matt is the guy you turn to when the objective looks bleak, and it's an absolute no-fail mission. But before he found himself at the tip of the aviation arm of the Shadow Spear, he was a calf scout. Most notably, a scout with the then Avant Guard Striker Brigade out of Fort Lewis, Washington, where he helped establish the Army's first reconnaissance, surveillance, and target acquisition squadron. His flying career was just as preeminent. Growing up in the medevac world out of Fort Irwin, California, Matt soon found himself augmenting and sharpening his skills as an assault pilot in South Korea. This would soon pay dividends when he completed assessment and selection for the shadowy Night Stalkers, or more commonly known as Task Force 160. Becoming a household name after the film adaptation of Mark Bowden's popular book, Black Hawk Down. It was here that Matt finished his last seven years of honorable service to the greatest nation. When most guys start planning for retirement and look for those moonlight assignments, he went the other way. This is all you need to know about him, his work ethic, and how his mind works. Always forward, always raising the bar, but more importantly, bringing those around him up the rungs of success that he himself built. Not your average operator. Not your average operator. Not your average operator. to another episode of Not Your Average Operator with me, Paul Mellon McFadden. We're here with Mike and Ralph. How you going there, Ralph? I'm doing good. Uh, am I going to see you next Tuesday or how's that going to work? It does. People sometimes do see me on Tuesdays. It does happen quite a bit. My countrymen, yeah. people in Australia are laughing right now. There's a little in-joke there for every single person in Australia. North America's not so much. But uh, it does happen. How are you there, Mike? Oh, it's good. And I just want to set, set, set the record straight. <clears throat> Sorry, I was stuttering mess right there. Uh, every day is Tuesday for Mellon. I just want to put that. <laughs> every day. <laughs> it's never Thursday. It's always see you next Tuesday in Australia. It sure is. And Matt, how are you, mate? Pleased to meet um, you. Welcome aboard. Yeah, nice to meet you guys. Thank you very much. I'm doing well. The, uh, I, I am curious about this Tuesday thing, though. Well, there's... Well, we don't actually see each other on Tuesday, but there's just there's there's a word that's common in Australia, and and these two have introduced it in North America, and it they've they've made a mess of it though. Mike Mike forced his poor sainted mother to use the word in a message that was sent to me, and I was absolutely horrified. Nothing around, especially none of the women, but especially mums. They're not you're not allowed to force them to do it. She did it out of, <laughs> she did it out of pure love and concern uh for the for the team and it was for it was for charity okay that's that's what it was for your poor okay. mother my mother's a saint don't you talk about her <laughs> your poor mother <laughs> there was a voicemail left there was a voicemail left on my phone and it was his poor mother leaving a message and i was like she doesn't deserve that after everything she's gone through with this with this gorilla she just she was was just saying, hey, hey, Melon, you look nice today, whatever, and see you next Tuesday. That's all she said. Was it perhaps was it perhaps in response to Melon taking her out to a nice seafood dinner and never calling her back? What the <laughs> hell is what is wrong with you? I'm just I mean, is that why she left that message and told me he was, you know, she was gonna see him next Tuesday? Yeah, the, the, the listeners, the listeners were so happy when you lost your voice, Ralph. Yeah. It was like it was just a smooth, free-flowing love fest, and now you're back, and there's just hatred and vitriol. Yeah, he comes comes back. You know, takes the week off. Hey guys, can you cover it down on me? I just I I had things to do. I had I had a lot of fun this night, and I woke up without a voice. Sorry, I can't participate. Can I got the black lung, pa. <laughs> the black lung. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got the black lung pop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What well, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to toot my own horn, but here we go. Toot, toot. Uh, I got a, a pouring, an outcry, if you will, basically saying you need to come back. These two idiots have completely destroyed the show and lost all credibility. So I was like, well. So I literally just, you know, did the old, um, just started rallying through my head. And I was like, I need to bring someone to bring some credibility in it. So I thought, well, here's Mr. Matthew Hopper. I think between him and I, we'll be able to establish it again because you two. See you next Tuesday's completely ruined it. And I'll show you the emails. There, I mean, there's legitimate, there's legitimate statements. And I don't, I can't, you know, I can't say the words that were being written, 
when, when the email says, says when the email says to RAF from RAF, they don't they don't count. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so and I just I just want to okay. check as well with the geography. You said you're back. Where are you are you back from the Pacific Southeast? <laughs> <laughs> we got Matt Hopper here today and he's got so much dirt on one of these individuals in this particular conversation. So let's just put it out there. Let's just have some fun. Let's do it. Airing your grievances. Let's do it. So anyway, Matt, welcome aboard. It's great to have you aboard. How about, um, is it possible for you just to give a quick rundown on your backstory and, you know, a few high points of your career? Sure, absolutely. Um, thanks for having me, first of all. Uh, as far as my story, you know, from Phoenix, Arizona, for the most part, my father was in the Army, so I grew up in Panama, California, Arizona is what I remember the most. I uh, joined the Army in February of 95 as a 19 Delta Cavalry Scout. Did that for about six years, stood up the Army's first RISTA squadron or the Reconnaissance Surveillance and Target Acquisition Squadron there. Switched over to the Army Warrant Officer Program and uh, went and flew helicopters for the last 14. Started out in uh, the medevac in Fort Irwin, California. Then I was uh, Air Assault Battalion in Korea. That's where I met RAF. After Korea, I ended up in the medevac in Hawaii. And then uh, in March of 2008, I assessed for and was selected or got picked up for the uh, 160th, the Special Operations Aviation Regiment. Um, third battalion out of Savannah, Georgia. Finished my career there in 2015 and uh, retired, went to a uh, regional airline and bounced around back to helicopter EMS for a little while, corporate flying a Falcon 2000, back to uh, another airline. And then I landed at the legacy airline that I'm at right now in uh, January of 2018. But uh, that about sums it up. There's such a, a, a large amount of things where we could go here, like unpacking that. February 95, so army back then i joined the australian army in 94 it's a different thing than it is now right they're still just as uh robust and the training's better i mean some of the stuff you can probably do less of you know like the actual just beasting for the sake of beasting but as long as they come through with the same resilience you know maybe a generational change i know the old guys that were getting around when i was doing my training or literally were still old vietnam guys guy screaming at me because uh, I was born in 76. He was like, do you know that there was a place, there was combat in a place called Vietnam? And I was like, fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> Two things. One, I could, for, there's something about your face melon that just makes us want to scream at you. And two, this is really for Matt. Uh, so beasting is our version of smoking ourselves. So when he says beasting, I'm like, oh, what does that mean? Well, that just means you're, you know, you're getting smoked or you're smoking yourself. And then yeah. obviously the Australian term for right smoking to work like a beast. Is something completely different in Australia, yeah. so it's it's back and forth. In Australia, every time every time Tio Ralph talks about smoking himself, my mates message me, and they're like, "That's a strange yeah. combination of words." Uh, uh, mental images. So, medevac, and then uh, into air assault out of uh, cavalry. Yeah. So, big change there. It was the uh, so um, medevac from Fort Irwin. It was a real world medevac unit uh we had what they called the uh the mass mission military aid to safety and transportation so we were doing real live medevac out of the army's national training center but we were also responding to um accidents along the interstate out there in southern california um we were doing patient transfers out of places like big bear or something if a civilian helicopter couldn't get in there we'd fly in there and fly patients down into the uh, the la basin Fighting fires in Big Bear with a small 660-gallon Bambi bucket, um, stuff like that. It was pretty cool. Like it was for my first duty station as a pilot. Um, there was it was a really really good experience. And then go to Korea, and there was yeah. no real air assault mission. You know, we were just training for it. Um, so yeah, it was it was different. But then I got to meet guys like Raf and some of the literally the best friends I've made in the army. Tell us, tell us what was what what was it like when you first met him because we've all got a horrendous story oh man Raph. first time i met raf the uh so raf got to the unit while i was in the instructor pilot course so probably i'm guessing around september october of 2005 and i'd heard about him when i was in the instructor pilot course people were like oh wait till you meet this guy and uh i come back and uh i, I can't remember i was either sitting at my desk or, or something but raf walks in and He's got unblasted boots. He's wearing like Vietnam era jungle boots. Um, <laughs> his hair is all long, just walks in, kind of blown away, kind of like David Hasselhoff. He had straight hair and looked like rap. He sets his SpongeBob SquarePants lunchbox right on the desk. 
And uh, I was like, I heard about that. And he's like, I, I got a way to bring my, I had to have a way to bring my food to work, Claire. So that was, uh, that was about the first time I met Raf. Yeah, so that lunch pill, there's a little bit of history behind that. And I'll give you the short version of it. I got my ass reamed in flight school because of it. I, uh, one day after a flight, uh, with my shout out to my instructor pilot, Ron Bartlett, who's a plank ho holder in the 160th. But uh, anyways, Ron and I came back from a flight, come back to our desk, and it's kind of an open area with like, you know, 20 different desks where a pilot and the instructor group sit. And uh, just with a note, just says, hey, Mr. Spinoza, come, you know, come see Colonel blah, blah, blah. We should just call him Snake Eyes. I don't know what his actual name was. If everyone hated him. It wasn't just me, everybody. He was just one of those dudes that was very unfriendly. Probably Australian. I think he was Australian now that I think about it. <laughs> so long story short, or long, long, long story longer. Um, so Ron, who's, you know, just an awesome dude, goes, hey, let me go see what this is all about. So he, you know, goes down the hallway gets an earful, comes back, and he's like, all right, man, uh, you're about to get your ass chewed over some lunch pail or something. I, I don't know what that's about. He's like, but you're not going in there alone, so I'm going in there with you. And I was like, all right, thanks, man. So we go in. You know, he does the formal entry, uh, and then the colonel immediately kicks him out, calls me in, and just chews my ass for like 30 minutes and tells me, you know, I'm the most unprofessional student he's ever met, and uh, no one's going to take me serious. And he's like, do you really think you're going to go – and land somewhere to pick up our customers and they're literally going to think they're going to feel safe with you at the controls with a lunch pail of you know spongebob square pants <laughs> and i was trying to explain to him that it was either spongebob square pants or a ladybug but he didn't want to hear it he was just like shut up shut up you know like <laughs> but but here's the thing i wasn't lying i so then so we had this grease pit and matt you probably remember this at flight school we don't it's the south and yes it's the south it's literally in missouri so it's the south and there's this, this, it's everything's fried. If you order a Pepsi, it's fried. If you order Snickers, it's fried. If you order a salad, guess what? It's deep fried. Everything is fried. So, you know, I was a bit of a sugar bear. And by sugar, I mean beer. There was a lot of beer to be, to be uh, uh, drank. So, or drunk, whatever the word is. Um, and I just thought, you know, I need, I need a, I need to turn a new leaf. I need to start eating healthier. So I wanted to pack my own lunch and I went to Walmart and they just, you know, it's a brand new Walmart and that's all they had. They lit, I scoured that building. There was nothing else. And so I just thought, yeah, SpongeBob SquarePants it is. And I just thought there's no way no one's going to like notice this, but yeah, it was a heat seeking missile is what that guy was. I mean, he saw and he was like, he just, he just zoned in on me and like it. Yeah. But needless to say, man, he would look for me. I mean, I, it was like a, you know, he would sit up in the sniper's nest and, and look out for me, you know, because we would have to catch a bus to leave the airfield and he'd always be waiting by by the bus. And I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. This sounds like a story of Raph hitting puberty, wanting to become a man. I'm going to pack my own <laughs> lunch, damn it. And I'm going to pick my favorite character and you're going to deal with it. Like, this is amazing, man. This is this is a coming of age story. This is what this really is. Congratulations. I'm a real boy. Yeah. I'm a real boy. <laughs> It's the gift that keeps on giving for Raph. Literally, I reached out to probably five or six of our friends saying, hey, I need good Raph stories. And every single person said the lunchbox story was the first one. So how many years, how many years between the colonel telling you that it was a poor career choice and Matt, you're meeting him in Korea oh, on the other side of the world? That Well, that was a year. So because I left flight school. Yeah, because actually that was primary. So that was like I was we just started basic like fundamentals of flying. Right. So that, I mean, I'm talking like week two of flight school. And uh, I think the only thing that saved me was that we had, you know, we had like 10 wars going on at the same time. They're like, damn it. We got to keep them in. Cause we got to send them off to wherever the hell we're going. <laughs> Have you still got SpongeBob? Um, believe it or not, I held on to him up until I'm trying to think of the last time we cleaned out the house. Like it was one of the moves. I think it was like Savannah to Saudi Arabia. I think we were cleaning out the house and I still had him. Um, and then I ended up just getting rid of it because I thought, well, I'm a man now. <laughs> that transition from puberty to manhood has been completed. And uh, hey, this isn't about me. This episode is about Matt Hopper. Let's talk about the 160th and owning the night. He still has the receipt. I've seen it. I've seen it. 
Well, we only, got him, we only brought him along to hear backstory about you, mate. That's the only reason. <laughs> yeah. So the one thing about all of this, right, and, and this just proves a point, is everybody's story the first time about Raph, it, it was about Raph. It was walking in, look at my hair, look how pretty I am, look how fucking, look, like, look, look how awesome I am and different from everybody else. You, you don't have to. You, it, that, that, it's the same thing. When I walked in, his hair was nice. He looked the same. He's looking at me with the see you next Tuesday look sitting in the CP, you know, Raph with Melon. I mean, it's all the same. It's always about Raph. So we're just making that point. That's i got a question. What was the health food that went into the SpongeBob? Was it guacamole <laughs> and burrito bread? <laughs> <laughs> Melon, I just can't right now. I just can't. <laughs> uh, so, right, I got Matt, so, so, so what, so what was it like flying in, uh, in Korea? In that time, you know, sort of things obviously released already, but it was, you know, that's a serious, that's a serious deployment. Oh, that's a serious situation still. Flying in Korea was amazing. It was, uh, you know, we a lot of, lot of training. Our specific unit that Raf and I were in, we had a, uh, a specific mission where we flew into um, the uh, DMZ basically with the uh, the UN mission. Um, some of our helicopters had the yellow stripe on them, so we would. Uh, we would exercise that right with the UN once a month. So, you know, absolutely to be taken serious, but a lot of it was, uh, it was more just training, like trying to figure it out. We were brand new air assault pilots for the most part. Um, we trained, you know, I would say three or four times a week, uh, just going out and flying low level routes, uh, multi-ship, all that kind of stuff. The typical stuff that people are doing in the army, but we had the added benefit of doing it in a place like Korea where, uh, you know, meeting guys like Raf and there's a, another, I mean, probably five or six of us, just a core group of friends that all kind of consolidated in that place at the exact same time that um, really made it special. It was more than just, you know, flying and learning as a brand new pilot. And if I could just bring up the point, one of those core friends is a, a, a girl named Katie Slingerland, uh, formerly known as Morris, uh, who's also a colonel. And she's now taking over the airfield where that incident happened with the uh, SpongeBob SquarePants. So I hope she's bringing the heat to anybody walking around, you know, blatantly with this SpongeBob Square. I hope she's just keeping up, you know, I hope she's keeping up that, uh, that culture. Well, just, yeah, I, the reason that I hope is because of guys like you, because you, you totally messed it up and then there's rules because it went wrong. So congratulations. That's your, that's your piece in that history of that airfield. Yeah, I reckon the colonels yeah, were ordering the stuff into Walmart, and they were like Ladybirds and SpongeBob only. It's all we're gonna, and we're gonna see who's the one who brings it to work. <laughs> Matt, you're a psychological say evaluation now. When the psych yeah, now, when you show up. Well, I was, uh, I was just gonna talk about Katie for a moment. We got Katie as a brand new second lieutenant right out of flight school, and uh, the Viking is what we called her. But the only army aviation officer I've ever seen that ran down the flight line doing toe touches after a good combo check with all 10 aircraft. Yeah. So anybody that knows Katie that's listening to this, like you should hold her to the toe touch combo check. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, going back to that group though, what was so unique about it is that every single one with the exception of me actually was very successful in their career. I mean, literally, um, Katie's career was very successful. She was an aide at the white house. Uh, another guy, Brent, um, is literally in a tip of the spear type position that, you know, is literally like the number two guy of an organization that's doing stuff around the world that we'll never hear about. Um, there's another guy, Steve-O, same thing. I mean, it just, it's, you look back and yeah, we were a bunch of no talent having ass clowns, but at the same time, it, it's pretty amazing that we were, that we got along so well and we had so much fun taking ski trips and just, you know, shenanigans at large, but at the same time, every one of our individual storied career is, uh, it's pretty amazing. Like it, it always just blows my mind. You know, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. I, I agree with Raf. We, uh, you know, the relationships I made in Korea are where, are why I landed where I am today. Like I would not be where I was or where I am without, um, you know, my friends or my friends of friends. And, uh, the last four years in the army, or actually about a year in the army and four years I got out were, uh, were super challenging. And the relationships I de developed in Korea with guys like Raf and stuff or would, uh, 
what helped me through that, you know, guys that really knew me and I could sit down and talk about them. How long were you guys there for? How long were you there for, Matt? Was it, and also was it an accompanied posting? We, did you guys have partners? Uh, we were there for two years and um, well, it's a, it's a one year assignment. And then shortly after all of us getting there, um, most of our group extended for two years, probably a testament to the, the good time that we were having and just the relationships that we were making. It was an unaccompanied assignment at the time for us where we were at. However, some people um, ended up bringing over their wives. They just weren't supported by the military. So they were living on the economy, finding you know civilian jobs, the whole nine yards. Yeah, got it. And so well, after Korea, so you guys had a really good group there. Mm -hmm. where, did, where did you go to next? Did you go directly from there into the 160th? No, I did not. I went from Korea to Hawaii. And again, a very large percentage of our group went to Hawaii as well, at least 50% of us. So Raf and I and Jesse and everybody, we all ended up in Hawaii um, in the fall of 2007. And that's when I started basically getting the idea. And we, we were all having fun in Hawaii, but I was getting the idea that, um, you know, I really thought I needed to try out for the 160th. If I didn't, I'd probably live my life with regret. Wasn't sure I was going to make it in, but if I didn't at least try, I knew I'd look back in 30 years and really wish I would have. So in March of 2008 is when I assessed and got picked up for that um, and then left for training in May of 2008 for the 160th. And for, hey. the, for the listeners, primarily the ones in Australia who might not know about the 160th, I know we've had Kelly Hines on uh, before, but we didn't really get much into the mission. Is it already to give just a quick sort of overview, obviously, just on what you can talk about uh, freely, the stuff that's freely available. Could you give, give just an overview of what the 160th does? Sure. The, uh, the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment um, primarily caters to Special Operations Forces um, in the U.S. They also occasionally foreign militaries, but Rangers, SEALs, Army SF, um, MARSOC, things like that. Um, they were developed after the Iran hostage crisis. Back then it was a much smaller, a little more secretive unit and they kind of became mainstream where everybody uh, had started hearing about them after the movie Black Hawk Down or the book Black Hawk Down and then subsequently the movie. And uh, you can go into Wikipedia or you know, any of the history books or anything like that and pull up uh, specific missions and kind of exactly what they focus on. But really we specialize in uh, operations at night um, our aircraft are a little bit better equipped than, than regular army aircraft and our pilots um, just go through a little bit more training than like a regular army pilot. Is it a fairly competitive selection? I'm assuming that there'd be a lot of people who'd want to get into organizations like that and that the mission being more demanding, like any other type of special forces selection, that would be quite a high number of applicants to, compared to the number of positions. Would that be fair to say? It would be very fair to say. I, I don't know the exact statistics. I remember uh, one time I was up doing assessments and the assessment officer said of, of the packets that come in, they accept about 50% to bring in to interview. Of those packets, about 50 to 60% make it past the interview process. And then usually it's probably around a, a 90, maybe a little bit higher than that um, pass rate through the actual training process, which is a testament to how well they do the selection. Yeah. So you're looking around 90% total from all applicants don't make it roughly. Um, yeah, I'm horrible at math and I got my shoes on. So I would, yeah, somewhere right around there. <laughs> yeah. So as I just want to say, like as a customer, as one of your, you know, the, the customers that you guys have supported, any time I've ever worked with 160th has been just awesome. Like the, the amount of talent and professionalism that is demonstrated and also just the capabilities uh, is, is so awesome. That alone paired with the technology that's out there and the different stuff is just really, really cool. Um, one, one thing that kind of pops out uh, to me, uh, just how, again, in, in, the, in the face of adversity, so in 2009, there was a VBSS mission, which is uh, shipboarding. And uh, there was an operation going on with my team. And um, it was at night and there was a Blackhawk and the pilot was having some issues. I, I believe it was resulted in like a heart murmur or something that developed and he wasn't aware. And it sideslided into the stanchion uh, on the ship and the helicopter crashed on deck. And uh, I believe the crew chief uh, died. And then a lot of uh, my friends were on there and none of them died, but they got, uh, I, I know a guy just shattered his pelvis. Um, lots of back issues and, you know, all kinds of stuff. But I remember just the result from that and 160th being around and how professional everything, 
kind of turned around with with the incident and look what happened. And I mean, any I'm not saying anybody else, but a majority of people would would have done it a whole different way. And just the way it was handled, I remember I was like, wow, like these guys, these guys are legit. And especially trying and pushing the envelope of like what we were trying to do out there was was very impressive. So uh, that's just I just wanted to compliment, you know, from my side, working with 160, there, there's no better pilots. No, we appreciate that. Thank you very much. Glad to hear uh, loss of life, obviously having to push it in training as well as on operations. So you had you had seven years there, Matt. I'm assuming like <laughs> everywhere, wheat from chaff separation occurs. So guys that stick around, I'm assuming, you know, it's it's only the ones that they, they want to keep. Is it, is it true from what Kelly was talking about that it just seems like it just has an absolute depth of experience that the... He, he said going in there, he was like, he was a pretty senior dude in every other unit and he got it, he got there and he felt like he was the new guy. Oh, absolutely. It's uh, it's actually, you know, in the company of heroes, I guess is one of the best ways to describe it. And uh, Mike Durant wrote a book in the company of heroes. Um, I believe it was Mike Durant, or at least wrote it with somebody else. But it's you walk in those halls and like, it's, I mean, there's guys that have been in that unit since the inception almost. It feels like all the people that you're learning from, um, during green platoon, like there's some of them are the original plank holders. I read a book called the night stalkers before I, uh, I went and assessed, um, and reading all those short stories about what was going on all the way from the beginning until really operation red wing, I believe was the last story in that book. Um, and these are the guys that I'm learning to fly helicopters from, you know, so guys like Jim Christopher and, um, just here I'm reading stories about the book and next thing I know I'm doing overwater stuff off the coast of Virginia with Jim. Like it was just, it's really, really cool stuff. Um, I kind of had to pinch myself every once in a while, like to, to make it all sink in on, you know, Hey, this is where I landed and these are the people I'm flying with. And, uh, you know, there, there were some egos like in anything with the military and stuff like that. But for the most part, everybody in that unit was really just about the mission, very focused, calm, cool, collected, um, and just wanted to make everybody behind them better. It was, it was a pretty cool experience to be a part of. And just for the listeners, because people might have heard Kelly on a couple of times, Matt, just just confirm, did you ever work directly with him? No, I, I feel like I did because um, Kelly left the battalion I was in um, right before I got there. And then he went to Hawaii where Raf and all those guys were um, in his battalion. So I've heard stories from both sides of it. So I do feel like I know Kelly, but I do not. Well, maybe we can fix that. Yeah. Eventually, when I get <laughs> when I get over there, maybe we can all get together with some brown Gatorade sport drinks. Yeah, I'd look forward to that. <laughs> yeah, awesome. So, Matt, I have a question for you. Uh, you you mentioned you know everything from conventional military and multiple spots with Korea, with Hawaii, and all these other units and everything. You you've achieved a lot uh, to this point in your life. How was it embracing the transition and like? life now so commercial you know flying and all this other stuff that you've done that's a big change going from 160th to flying civilians around that are in the back complaining about dumb shit right <laughs> so it's like is you know how have you embraced that and and how have you transitioned um it's so when i first retired from the army and ended up at a, a regional airline it was you know once the newness of flying a jet wore off i mean i got out of the army with roughly 50 hours of multi-engine airplane time. And next thing I know, I'm flying a, a CRJ with, you know, 50 to 76 passengers in the back. Once the newness of that wore off, it became a little arduous, I guess is the right word. Um, just, it was taxing. And back then it's a little better now, but back then, you know, the 11,000, uh, or sorry, the 11 months that I was at a regional airline, I mean, I made roughly $16,000. Um, as a grown man, you know, that was a hard pill to swallow. So we had moved back to Phoenix um, thinking that I was going to accept a job flying a corporate jet and that job went away. Um, so I stayed with the regional airline living in Phoenix and commuting all the way back to Charlotte. It just became too much to handle. So I ended up back uh, flying helicopter EMS and really I thought I'd found my destination. I didn't think I was going to be going anywhere else after that. But in December of 2015, I was uh, returning from dropping a baby off at Phoenix Children's Hospital. And I got tasked to go search for uh, my missing sister ship. They'd been missing for about two hours. And I was the closest one to them. So they sent me out to look for them. After uh, a brief search, 
found the crash site. Um, there was two, two deceased and uh, one survivor. Wasn't able to land out there, but the uh, some really long story, but some Air Force Pavehawks were not too far away. They came and uh, hoisted the survivor off the side of the mountain. And when I got home that night, um, the wife and I started talking. She kind of thought after the 160th that we'd given up this, uh, you know, the, the dangerous part of flying. And granted, there's always an inherent danger in flying, but that part of it, she thought that was over. So we made the decision that we were going to leave um, helicopter EMS. And then I ended up flying a Falcon 2000 for a, uh, a corporate operator here out of Phoenix, which was a really good time, really good experience. Um, but it just, it wasn't for me. I realized that the corporate job was not um, really in my cards long-term. So ended up just bouncing around two other airlines and uh, the airline I'm at right now is um, exactly where I wanted to be for numerous reasons, but it's, uh, it's been great. The COVID thing has taken a huge toll on it. And uh, I really haven't flown in the last five months, but it's been a, uh, it's been a good place to be for the last three years, roughly. So I think a really good thing to hear when you're explaining that is how many times you were convinced like, oh, this is it. Like, this is what I'm going to be doing. And how many times did you just explain that you changed because of life happening, whether things, you know, you know, a, a crash or influence or people in your life or anything else. And you're open to evolving and, and getting to something new, something better. And I think that's great, man. It's very, you know, it's very healthy. You always hear like stories about people that, uh, we talk about expectations of like, hey, when I get out, this is what's going to happen and it doesn't happen. And then they just go straight down the, the tube, you know. Um, so I think that's a very good, positive story with some good framework to keep keep your eyes open and, and, and be ready to evolve after the military. That's great. Uh, absolutely. And talking to guys like Raf, I mean, a lot of these decisions were extremely difficult and Raf can expand on this a little bit, um, being on the receiving end of these conversations. But you know, with friendships, like I've developed with Raf and a few other guys and stuff, like just bouncing stuff off of them. And uh, not that I need the support um, to be able to move, you know, really it's just my wife and I making the decision, but it just made it so much better knowing that I had somebody like Raf that I could count on bounce off uh, ideas and pros and cons and things like that. And he'd always be like a really good voice of reason for me. This is, this is stuff that comes up. I know you've listened to quite a few of the episodes, Matt, but this is stuff that really comes up for people. And it's not, it's not that other, we're going to have heaps of other 160th uh, specialists like you who are doing exactly the same thing, but it's like a common thread for people. You know, you've reached the top, like the actual top of a certain area of, of a niche specialist there. And then you've gone into trying different things, thinking you'd found the career that you were looking for and it could be other people in relationships or whatever, but you weren't fixed and you were, you were able to have freedom to maneuver as you got more information, adjusting course, you know, changing the sails to suit the wind, that old uh, analogy. And then to end up eventually in the, in the place that's working for you now, you know, but like, it's not like you've, ar you've arrived and it's happily ever after dot, dot, dot and cue credits. It's like life continues and challenges keep coming up and this is the same for everyone and a lot of our listeners are dealing with you know big changes and transitions in the time of COVID and so on but it's it's just really good and healthy to hear and I really like the part I mean I wouldn't advise going to RAF for advice on anything but <laughs> but the idea that you do have you know close friends people who are trusted that you can bounce ideas off and you can you can work through stuff together and like I really encourage this kind of behavior in our listeners you know go to your trusted friends adjust your course a no now doesn't mean no forever you know that that dream you had as a 10 year old you don't have to be tied to it as a 30 or 40 year old you can find your own way i agree i uh i'm sorry go ahead Raph. no i was i was just going to add in that um as far as he's, losing, ahead, he's, he's, losing, he's been on the cigars he's been <laughs> on the cigars and whiskey <laughs> i'm getting emotional sorry <laughs> I think I'm clear now. Um, no, what I was going to say was the one thing that, and being in in that tight tight knit circle with Matt and some of the other guys, like Shady and Shy, if you guys are listening, and Jeffro, um, you know, one of the things that we all learned from, it, so some of you guys really need to understand, and and Matt is being really humble, but the truth is, even in our circle back in Korea. You know, there's always like a shadow governor. And I would say, by and large, Matt was our shadow governor, right? Like he was kind of the guy 
that always brought like, um, I don't know, like normalcy or intellect to the group, right? Where most of us were like just clowns. I We, we always, Matt was always our sounding board because he was kind of always looking ahead, so to speak. I guess that's the classic scout. But what I was going to say is he was he's always been a trailblazer in our group and he's always been that guy that just kind of, you know, if Kelly Hines was like the the leader for us, then Matt Hopper was our mentor. Like I always have gone, and Matt can say this, can agree to this. I've always gone to Matt for every major career move I've ever done. Even in the military, I'd be like, hey man, I've got, these are my options for my next PCS move. What do you think? Because I knew that Matt Hopper, you know, like kind of like what he just, what you alluded to, Melon, he's, he, he's one of those guys and I've learned this from watching him, he's never arrived, right? Like even when he reaches a goal and he busts his ass to get there, he doesn't just kind of be like, all right, I can put my hair down and I can just relax. Like, you know that he's already, his wheels are already spinning about how he can explore that space, how he can move on, how he can, not only that, the thing that I've always loved about Matt is that his immediate thought is, how can I get my friends to where I'm at now? Like he, and that's the thing that I've always really absolutely admired about Matt, and I'm gonna try not to cry, is that, Everything for him is wherever he arrives, he wants his friends to be there, right? He's not a selfish man by any stretch of the imagination. He always wants the absolute best for his friends. And there is a million stories about that. There are literally millions of stories of of Matt. If he doesn't get there, he wants somebody to get there. Like, right, His, his, I guess his end all be all is to have his friends be the most successful. And I've always appreciated that because I've luckily have gotten a, a, a piece of that, you know? And I think it's really just out of, um, you know, uh, what, what do they call that? Affirmative action, like in the group, they, you know, I had to make sure and I had to get my piece. So for the listeners, you know, I'm listening to Raf tell this story about Matt and, you know, just from talking offline, I can pick that up about him and some of the other stories I've heard from Raf when he's like, Hey, I want to bring my friend Matt on. And he was telling us why. And I just want to go back to like, talking about that point of who you allow to be in your circle in your life. And when I hear these stories about, you know, from, from Raph or Mel and be like, Hey, I want to bring this guy on. He, he's one of my best friends. He's, he's one of the greatest guys. I want to meet these people because I already know the level uh, of friendship that these guys have. And that's expanding a positive, good circle. So it's not like I'm meeting somebody that's, you know, a POS and they're like, hey, once you meet my boy, he's, you know, he's done this. He served in the army and he was this, that, whatever. He loves talking about himself and whatever. It's just like, I'm good, man. I I, I don't need that type of, of stuff. But I think I think it's good if you if you listen to this and think about the people in your life who are positive, who do like helping others, who is that shadow governor in your circle. Um, who else do they know? Reach out, man. Like, because that's the that that the curiosity and getting out there and being like, who haven't I met yet? And and all the positives that can come with that is such a good thing. So I, I just want to challenge the listeners to do a quick evaluation of who is in your life and who, you know, what pathway you can choose to take today uh, to, to bring more of those people into your life, because it's going to be a win-win as you can hear. Mike, I agree completely. The, uh, the group that we developed in uh, or the friendship that we developed in, Korea and our friend group. Um, it's just, I, like I said earlier, I would not be where I am without them and their sound advice and just being sounding boards. Um, you know, I, I blew through the, the time since getting out of the army as, um, you know, that started this job, started this job, but these were long conversations and they were painful ones in some extent. So being able to, uh, to rely on the friend groups and at the same time, um, Melon, you touched on this previous, um, realizing who in your friend group doesn't need to be there, like who is not bringing anything to the table. So not that anybody asked for my advice on this, but if they were listening, I mean, having your core group of friends and the people you can rely on in these situations um, is absolutely imperative and equally imperative is, is, you know, getting out of the toxic friendships and the people that you don't need to rely on. Such a good point, Matt. Like that whole thing that, you know, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And if you sort of look around at those, if you really think in your own life, who are those five people? And you think there's some good and bad in there. And you, you'll, you'll often see the best part of you in, you know, maybe two or three of those people. And, you can, and, you can, and maybe you have to get out the pruning scissors and be like, I need less of this person in my life. And, you know, like 
Mike is alluding to here, going to a really well-trusted mate like Raf or Ralph, as we call him sometimes, <laughs> and bringing in bringing in one of his best, you know, add that person into your circle and and just see what happens to it over time. Like there's, it's really good to hear that you guys have got this circle from Korea back in uh, 05 and that this is that the fruit of that friendship is still being uh, harvested now in 2021 decisions that you're making and you know it's and it, it, it never ends it's a really wonderful thing to think but you do have to have a bit of intention sometimes about your friends who am I bringing in who am I spending time with what 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 people can I let go of perhaps out of that circle Yeah. And if I could just add, and it's, it's important to understand that, you know, these friendships that you do care about, um, hopefully it's, it's mutual in both directions, but, you know, like anything, even a good marriage, it's always work. Right. And I don't mean like work, like, Oh, ho hum, I have to go do this. It, um, but I, I say that because I think it's important that you remember that, you know, these people in your, in your inner circle are, are the people that have helped you succeed, or like I said, they're good sounding boards. And so, Make the effort, you know, if you haven't, because listen, we all get busy with life. We all, I mean, literally, we all get busy. So it's important to just kind of make an, a note, even if you have to scratch it down. Hey, I got to call so-and-so uh, and just just shoot the breeze, man. You know what I mean? Like just, hey, man, what's up? Like, what are you up to? You know, even if it's like, even if it's for like five minutes, just to touch base and just be like, bro, I was just thinking about you, man, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you can, or you can just sit there and cuss each other out. Whatever your language is, just, just to show that love, right? Just to just to show that admiration, be like, just to let that person know that, you know, man, you're, you're still at the center of my world. And I, you know, I appreciate, uh, I, I appreciate you. I appreciate having you in my life. Um, and having said that, if that, if that is true though, Melon, about you, you are the average of the five people you spend most time with, unfortunately, I'm going to have to just call, call it now and just say I'm off the podcast. Cause I can't, cause you two are going to bring me down. <laughs> there it and is. then segue to that, segue to that, Matt, um, back to Back to you. What what was the hardest? If you could just you know, because I don't want to run out of time here. What um, what was the hardest thing that you you did, whether it's a mission or a moment or whatever, while you're in the one six? Like, what was the most challenging thing? If you're just kind of recollecting uh, what you experienced in the one six, was it something in training or a specific mission over a dangerous country, that sort of thing? Uh, believe it or not, no. Like probably the most. Um... The hardest thing I ever did in the 160th was uh, basically a family notification after uh, one of our company members was killed um, in a helicopter crash. I got tasked to go um, assist the notification officer on that. And then basically uh, stayed up in uh, at the family's location for about two weeks, just assisting through the memorial service and stuff like that. But that was, yeah, the missions um, compared to that were nothing. Like that was absolutely the most uh, emotionally and physically, you know, exhausting thing I did in the military. And I, and I know what you're talking about. I, I was kind of there, I guess, on the sidelines with a lot of our core group of people. And uh, I can attest to the fact that I don't think I've ever seen you. I don't know what the word is, um, but I, I've seen your... Like I've seen you physically exhausted, mentally exhausted, and I guess emotionally somewhat uh, tired, but I've never seen every, all the, all those aspects. And I, I just remember at the end, during and at the end of that, how taxed you were at, at all those, um, at all those things, right? Like I just, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, it was impressive. I, I didn't, um, I didn't want to be in your shoes, that's for sure. But I, I definitely was rooting for you because I know it it took a, a severe toll. Yeah, it, it absolutely did. Um, I'm sorry, Mike, go ahead. No, um, I'm just listening, but I, I, I want to make the point. It doesn't matter what you do, what career field you're into. You can be the best of the best and part of the elite. And just another example of hearing, like, we all go through stuff and even the best people the most humble people, the most successful people, the hardest working people, whatever, uh, you are still going to have your hard days and nothing is going to always be easy. So uh, I just wanted to make that known is another point that, you know, <laughs> we all go through it. So that, thanks for sharing that, man. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it probably the emotional toll um, that had was, uh, I mean, that was long lasting too. And I've relied again, I keep coming back to Ralph on this one, but, 
I've relied on my friend group numerous times, um, and especially the night after the uh, memorial in Arlington um, to get me through that. But it's, you know, I keep coming back to like that specific moment when people ask me like what the hardest thing I did in the military was. And I don't know if it was because it wasn't scripted or if because for the actual missions, you know, we rehearsed them. Um, we, we trained for them. There was an accepted amount of risk that uh, every time we pulled pitch, we knew we were dealing with. Um, so it was easy to wrap your brain around that. Um, but to wrap your brain around a training accident that somebody passes away from. And, you know, next thing you know, you're, you're dealing with the emotional side of that with the family. Like there was, yeah, there was just no, you didn't know what right or wrong was, you know, you just, you kind of just went into it completely blind and like unaware. So yeah, it was by far the most challenging thing I ever dealt with. And it, and it doesn't help that this was somebody that, you know, if you knew him, you, you really liked him. I mean, he was just a good, he was, just, you know, it's something I would call salt of the earth. He was just, he was a good dude, man. Like a really, and he was a good officer too. Like he, he just, he had a really bright future um, in any organization. I mean, you know. It's like a, it's like an advertisement for why you want to have these relationships in your life really function well with these having key people in your life. And as Raf's saying, taking the five minutes to reach out and, having a think, you know, being, being intentional about who you're spending your time with and so on, because investing in those relationships, you never, none of us know the next time that that phone is going to ring and we're going to have a task or some like ter terrible news is going to come. And, you know, the people who don't have those resources to lean on in those times, they are just, it's like a thousand times worse, you know? So I just want to sort of put a, an exclamation point there next to that that circle of friends, that circle of relationships and intention and investing into it, you know, like you, you never know when you're going to need it. And we're all going to have a hard day. There's a hard day in front of all of us. Yeah. And if I could just say something, just so I can be transparent to the listeners, you know, um, we're, we're, we're pretty macho men to, to a certain degree, right? Like everyone's got this profession where you can kind of I guess it's stereotypical of like, oh, you know, Mike's spe special operations, Matt with special operations, Melon. I guess you're you're sort of a mas masculine dude. He's just I'm special. Melon's just special. <laughs> <laughs> I want the listeners to know that we still, uh, especially in uh, this group and in the group that Matt and I belong to, we still write to each other. We still tell each other at the end of a conversation, "Hey, man, I love you." Like it's not not a sign of weakness. It's not like I'm getting soft. It's it's you know, it, it's an important message so that they remember kind of like what Mellon said on those, on those really, really hard days, you know, it, it should be an instinct and like, it should be a reflex to be like, I'm having the worst day of my life. Who am I going to call? What's well, going to be the dude that just said he loves me because he really meant it. Right. So I know, for instance, for me growing up, I mean, I love my dad my dad and I have a great relationship. However, comma, I've probably heard that man tell me he loves me twice. Um, in my 43 years of my life. Now, I know that he's got his own ways of doing it. And, uh, but believe it or not, that's had some sort of effect on me. Now, granted, it's been on the opposite because I tell my son, I love him every day. I kiss him and I, you know, like he's sick of me, you know, kissing his cheeks and, you know, they're all, they're all busted up because of my, my beard. But um, anyways, the point I'm trying to make is it's, it is important, right? In that inner circle, like, don't be afraid. Don't, don't think it's, that stigma of like, men don't say they love each other. That, that's, that's crap. That's absolute garbage, man. If you genuinely love somebody and you're willing to do anything for them, what, how hard is it to say those three words? Hey man, I love you. Just want you to know that. Great point. I love, I love saying that. And, and he's absolutely right because the, the people you say that to have never gone the, the, they've never gone as far as anybody else and experienced the things you have with them or done the things that, you know, other people couldn't in that moment. So that really means something we can tell, especially men be like, Hey dude, I love you because of this. Great point. I just want to point out two things. Raph, you're 44. Stop acting like you're 43. And then the other thing is <laughs> beard, the beard comment about Soren. It's the patchy beard that messes his teeth <laughs> up. Not, not your formal. You ain't got nothing formal going on. Okay. So I just want to make those two points. Still I will. Well, nice try. I will. Nice try. Yeah, let's do well. Well, I would, I don't, the only reason I'm making this comment is because there's no video. We're not on YouTube yet. But when, if we were on YouTube, trust me, I wouldn't have said that because you're <laughs> right. It's something out of uh, Team America. I'll, I'll, I'll admit it. 
Oh my god! Wow. So it's, we're probably at a point where we uh, have taken enough precious time. I know Matt, we, we really appreciate having you here and all the listeners as well. We appreciate everyone stopping and uh, tuning in for this time. It's really great to hear. Uh, probably the thread that people are picking up in this is just what a circle of friends can do, and and how long you get the benefit back. You know, you're investing into it yourself. You're getting in the in those interactions when you're investing in is revealing a better side of yourself anyway, a different aspect, your own characters coming out and then a lifetime of benefit, you know, 15, 16 years later, you're still leaning on these relationships and uh, you know, heavy banter and <laughs> access to your mate circles as well, you know, cause all of us have really high quality, probably inner circle and uh, you know, mates of mates are often really good guys to go and have a cold one with and uh, swap stories. So I really appreciate having you on, Matt. I'd love to have you on for an, an, another one, another deep dive, perhaps into some uh, specific topics with us because you sound like a man of wisdom. I don't know how you ever hooked up with Ralph. Yeah. <laughs> you give me way too much credit. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, Does it, any, did you want to leave anything with, uh, was there any comments or anything you wanted to finish with here? Anything that you felt wasn't said during this episode? Um, no, I... I want to thank you guys for having me on the uh, Raf approached me about this a few weeks ago and I've listened to uh, some of your podcasts over the last year or so. And uh, I'm honored. I don't feel like I'm worthy, but I'm honored to actually be on here and, and listen to you guys. The, the message you send is relevant and the topics you cover are, uh, are super interesting. Um, and I'm learning more and more about them every day. Like, cause I've been listening to them hardcore for about the last week or so. So thank you for having me. Um, and, uh, and it's nice meeting both of you. It's really good to um to just think perhaps in the front of you know people thinking about getting back in the skies and traveling and stuff that there's people of your caliber up the front of the aircraft looking after them you know taking that uh that that next career step as a as a serious one and it's really good as well just to know that there's another person standing in this rank that raf always talks about you know out in the left and right there are other people who are got their shoulder to the wheel as well trying to fight off the chaos that's what really you need to, to do you. thanks for, very much for coming for the future just real quick if you are getting on a commercial aircraft in the next couple of years, just go, who's the captain? Is it Raf Espinosa? And right. And then if, <laughs> if they say yes, just get off the plane and wait for wait for Matt Hopper to come walking by and be like, all right, what where's your flight going, man? I'm I'm flying with you. I just sound advice. Okay, just sound advice. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> nice meeting you all. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Thanks. That's man. a great place to leave it. Until next time, we'll see you guys later on. Thank you.